going to be going into this new series that, uh, that I'm really, I've really been excited about. You know, we do different types of message series here at Northwood Church. Sometimes we do like topical stuff that's kind of like last month, Am I Healthy? It's about health, and then we have different conversations around that. And other times we walk through maybe a book of the Bible or a section of a book of the Bible, and it's more of a verse-by-verse, maybe expositional type of of message series. We we do kind of different things. And so for the next uh, four months, from February through May, we're going to be walking through uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And if y'all remember, we started last year in the Beatitudes. At the end of last year, we did Beatitudes. That is the beginning of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' first uh, sermon. Uh, you know, anytime somebody says something, that, that sometimes it's the first thing that they say and the last thing that they say. It's like, man, what, what's the first thing somebody said and what's the last thing somebody said? And this is the first thing that, that, that we have, you know, in regards to Jesus' sermons. I wish that we could have been a fly on the wall, you know, in this parts in the Bible where it says that Jesus taught them many things and then he went from town to town. I'm like, what was he teaching? You know, the, little, the things that we don't have written down. What was Jesus saying? But we have this, Matthew 5 through 7, and we're going to be digging in deep. And so I want to encourage you over the next few weeks and, uh, and months to, to dig in as well. To read slowly. To read between the lines. A lot of times, I don't know if you are like me, but whenever you read an article, you're looking for like the bullet points. And you're like, you're moving on to the next thing. We're not going to be hitting just the bullet points with these messages. We're going to be kind of like, you know pulling back the curtains a little bit, looking a little bit deeper because there's a lot to discover. And so, so with that, what I actually want to do is I want to start, I want to pray because um, I believe that God has a lot of things that he wants to speak to us. But man, we've, we've got to be open. We've got to be open. Our hearts have to be open to receive. And so right now, Father, we come before you. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, and as we begin to, to read, Jesus, I'm praying that you would reveal your heart to us that you would open up our eyes to understand what it is that you're speaking to us, your church, and that, God, we would grow in you, that we would grow in our understanding of who you are. And, God, that it wouldn't just be an intellectual growth, but it would be a heart growth, that it would be a soul growth, that we would understand you and be more like you. So we open up ourselves to you, God. We ask that you would change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've called this uh, Sermon on the Mount teaching which really sets the trajectory for Jesus' ministry over the next three years. We've called this series Kingdom Manifesto because it's really Jesus giving his manifesto about what the kingdom of God is is all about and how we are supposed to live in the kingdom of God. A manifesto is a, a declaration of policy or aims, and that's what Jesus is doing. He's expressing, and this is very important for you to understand, he's expressing the heart of the kingdom. And that's really gonna be our our approach to, uh, to these, these verses is what's the heart that Jesus is trying to communicate to us. As we talked about with the Beatitudes, Jesus is establishing an upside-down kingdom, right? He's talking about how us as Christians are to live in the kingdom that he's establishing, and it's an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom that doesn't operate like any earthly kingdom. The path to righteousness is different, right? It's not based upon effort. It's based upon something else. And, uh, and so with that, let's kind of start, start leaning in. Jesus is talking to a couple of different groups of people. One group are, uh, has to do with disciples. He's talking to some current disciples, and he's talking to some potential disciples. And that's sort of like every single week at church. 
we're talking, we're hanging out with people who are current disciples of Christ and others who are kind of kicking the tires. Uh, every single week, watching online, there's people from all different walks of life, some of which have made a decision to follow Jesus, others are not quite sure. And so, so Jesus is talking to a large crowd of people. He's been healing people. He's been going all over the place. He's got a crowd that's following him. And he's, he's sitting up on, now he's sitting up on a hill and he's going to begin to speak. Some are Jews and some are Gentiles. And whenever you see Jews and Gentiles, it's not just two different groups of people. It's two different groups of people that think completely different about faith, about life. Jews are very law-driven. They've been taught a certain way how to live according to the law, which we're going to talk about today, the law. But he's also talking to Gentiles who are just a mixed bag, right? They have a whole lot of different backgrounds, a whole lot of different understandings about life, and there's different gods and all kind of stuff. So he's talking to a large crowd of people with a lot of different backgrounds. And so we start where Jesus calls them to represent the kingdom to the world. So let's pick up in chapter 5, verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. He says, be salt and light. And the thing about salt and light is that salt and light affect the environment that they are in. These two things, whenever they enter into an environment, it doesn't stay the same. Darkness is dispelled when light shows up. Darkness does not overcome light. Light overcomes darkness, right? We could turn all the lights in the room right now, and I could take out my phone and turn on the flashlight, and you would see it. It doesn't matter how dark it is, right? Light is more powerful than darkness. And he says, you're the light of the world. He says, be salt. Where you go, the people that you're with, the environments that you are in, be a change, like, like affect those environments. And salt does a few different things. It preserves, right? It, it, it flavors. And <clears throat> there's, there's one thing, when I think about salt, obviously I think about food. And there's three types of food. There's food that has no flavor because it needs more salt. There's food that has too much salt and it's disgusting. And there's food that has just enough salt. And you need salt in everything, all right? I went up to Wisconsin one time, and I don't know if this is true or not. I've talked to like one other pers per person from Wisconsin, but we had some homemade boiled chicken. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm telling the truth. I don't know who cooked it. All I know is that they said, hey, we're going to make some home-cooked Wisconsin food. And they brought out this pale, white-looking chicken boiled that had no salt in it. So I don't know if somebody made a mistake or if that's how all food from Wisconsin is. Is, is food from Wisconsin, is there good food in Wisconsin? There is? Okay, all right. The cheese, you got cheese. So maybe it's just a bad representation. Let's just take, the point is this though, not just about Wisconsin having bad food, but that <laughs> if you don't have salt in food, it's disgusting, right? It's nasty. But then there's also whenever you're at the restaurant and there was like the little kid that was there before you and they unscrewed the, the cap of the salt and you go and you, you go to put a little bit of salt and you get the whole thing in there. There's also that kind of food. And both of those are, are really kind of, they're pointless. It's got to be flavored just right. 
And Jesus is like, hey, go affect the place around you. Go affect the people around you. Um, and, and I would say this. There's a large majority of the, of the church who tend to either fit in too much and they're not actually bringing any sort of change or, or life or, or flavor to their family or their job or their school or whatever. And then there's those who, they're like the salt shaker whose lid just fell off. And they're just pouring salt everywhere. And they're just like, well, bless God, I'm going to be salt to the earth. And I'm going to speak the truth whether people like it or not. And, and it, they're just so mean, right? And so we have these two, like, giant groups of people and Jesus is like no to you you're lukewarm you're not really doing anything what's the point of being called the disciple if you're not going to actually represent the kingdom but over here what are you guys doing you're just pouring salt all over everything you don't top ice cream off with more salt right you don't do that but y'all get the point and Jesus is saying this is how I want you to live in the kingdom I want you to be salt and light and he calls us to change the environment we're in and if we don't what's the point but whenever we do God gets the glory but there's another audience that he's talking to he's talking to some religious leaders he's talking to Pharisees and and also in this group he's talking to scribes Pharisees were 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 teachers of the law Pharisees were all about the law they were, they were, I mean, they would look at every little thing and they, were, they would measure every little thing and they were very intelligent. And a lot of times whenever we talk about the Pharisees, uh, you guys have heard this a lot, it's always negative. It's like the Pharisees, you know, boo, hiss, the Pharisees. And, and yes, to a certain extent, boo, hiss, the Pharisees. But they weren't all bad and not everything that they were doing was out of a bad heart. So sometimes I think they kind of get a bad rap. But these men... They, they cared about the word. They cared about the Bible that, that we have, the Old Testament. They cared about being preserved and obeyed because that's what they were taught. And there was also the scribes who were sort of like, I mean, obviously they, would, they were scribes, so they would copy things and all that. But they were more than that. They were influencers. They were very knowledgeable about the law. And they would kind of like in a way, sort of like fact checkers today, right? They were, they're checking facts. They're always kind of weighing things out. And so you have the Pharisees, the Pharisees and the scribes who are also there listening to Jesus teach. But they're not just listening to Jesus teach like this, like, okay, okay. They're listening to Jesus teach like this. Sometimes I see that on Sunday mornings. <laughs> I'm teaching and I'll see this. One time I had a lady sit like this the whole sermon. <laughs> she knew what I was going to be teaching on that day, and she came to hear what I was going to say. Right? What's the pastor going to say about this? So uh, anyway, I have a feeling that the scribes and the Pharisees were more like, you know, weighing and judging every word. And I love when Jesus knew that because he went right after him. <laughs> he did. He, now he did it with love, but he went right after him. And that's what he's about to do right here. Because the Pharisees are all about the law and Jesus is about to talk about the law. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think. I like to think that he looks to the section of where they're at. He's like, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now the law. If... <clears throat> I think this is one of the concepts in the Bible about the law, understanding the law, that Christians miss the most when they read the Bible, and therefore there's so much about the Bible that they don't understand because anytime it talks about the law, they're like, what, 
what's the point? Let me get the Proverbs where I can understand some stuff. The law is uh, called the Torah, and, and uh, that's what uh, the Jews were referring to it as, the Torah. Uh, and it's in the first five books of the Bible, which is also called the Pentateuch. All right, so these words really represent the first five books of the Bible. And it's the law. There was 613 commandments that God gave the uh, children of Israel. And it started with 613, but over the years it expanded to literally thousands and kind of still is expanding in a certain way through the oral traditions of the Pharisees, of, of, the, of the teachers of the law, right? And, and so they begin to expand. Jesus might say something about the Sabbath. I mean, I'm sorry, God would say something about the Sabbath in the Torah. And then over the years they would add on to that. Well, this is kind of what that means in our context. And it would sort of be like us today whenever technology begins to increase and things begin to change and, and we try to contextualize the heart of God or, or the law of God, the moral law of God, we try to contextualize that for what that means today. I mean, the Bible doesn't talk about a lot of the things that we have today, okay? Because they didn't exist then. And so as things came into existence, the Pharisees were trying to contextualize these laws. And before you know it, you've got thousands of laws people are having to keep. And guess who's in charge of enforcing them? The religious leaders, they would make all the decisions, you know. No, you cannot move your ox on the Sabbath. Well, can I, uh, can I make my bed? I don't know. We need to go and confer with one another whether you can make your bed. Can they make their bed? Well, I think that uh, the heart rate might get up to a certain extent, and so therefore that would be exerting, and then that would be work on the Sabbath. No, you cannot make your bed on the Sabbath. You know, and, and in essence, that's kind of what was going on, and, and it keeps growing. And uh, I believe, again, it started with the right heart, but Jesus is challenging their interpretation of the law and their application of the law. How are they seeing it, and then how are they applying it to not only themselves, but more importantly, to other people? Because they're the, they're the letter of the law. They're bringing it, right? So it's actually why Jesus ends up uh, they end up plotting to kill Jesus later on in the book of Matthew because he's upending and he's messing with their system, which therefore he's messing with their power. He's messing with the whole structure that's going on with the, uh, the, the, uh, the Jewish community. And so, so let's continue on. Uh, verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, until everything's wrapped up, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law, which when he, when he says that, so I'm not talking about the original law. He's not talking about all the thousands of commands that all the Pharisees have tacked on. You know, he's talking about, no, like the, the actual law, the one that God has given us. None of it will pass from the law until all is accomplished, until everything that the law is there to accomplish will be accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes, okay, which is abolish or set aside. He's not talking about disobedience here. He's talking about whoever, whoever kind of wipes away the law. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this right here is a source of a ton of confusion in the church still today. A lot of confusion here and still a lot of confusion, which is what laws do we keep? What laws do we not keep? What's what? Uh, this is also where a lot of the TikTok-like uh, um, 
uh, people who like want to like undermine Christianity and like make Christians feel dumb for what they do and what they believe, they go back to like Leviticus and they're like, they're like, oh, so like, you know, you don't agree with this, huh? Yeah, because it's in the Bible. Well, do you get a haircut? Because like in the Bible it says you can't get a haircut too. And like, oh, well then you shouldn't get a tattoo either because Leviticus. And like they start throwing out all these zingers like thinking that they're like getting... And, and honestly, guys, whenever somebody does that, it really reveals their ignorance about the law. It, it's, it's really, it's, it's like, oh, I had somebody send me a, a DM on Instagram a couple years ago, and, and it was one of these, these videos. And, and, and they're, they're not a believer, and, and they sent it to me, and they were like, you know, oh, like, you know, what do you actually think about this? And so I sent them, like, you know, multiple articles, like the big long articles where you know they're not going to read it because they're, they're really not that committed. <laughs> They want the 30-second video. They don't want to actually go study for themselves, that type of thing. Yeah. And I was like, man, li listen, that, it's just a really poor understanding about what the law is. And so, so what is the law? Well, there's three categories of the law. That, that's sort of where uh, Christianity has, this is how we kind of lay it out. There's three, three categories. And I'm actually going to read uh, three summaries of these different categories by J.D. Greer because I think he just did a really good job of summarizing these thoughts. And the first set of laws are the civil laws. And this is like dress or attire, uh, the Sabbath breaking, uh, you know, if you break the Sabbath, what the punishment is, uh, disputes between people, there's the civil laws. And this is what he said. Um, they were set up so the nation of Israel could thrive. We're no longer bound by the civil codes of Leviticus because God doesn't have a nation state on earth anymore. And so there is some wisdom in the principles of the civil laws. I was actually reading this morning in Exodus. You can go and you can, you can read. God's giving some, some ways of approaching it. Also, you have to remember that these people are coming out of Egypt that they've been for 400 years. They don't know how to live life anymore. They had to, like, how do we even, like, figure out who's guilty of this or that and what's the punishment? They just had Egyptians over them for generations. And God has to teach them how to actually be a civilized people again in regards to the law. And so, so but we're not bound by that anymore. The second group is the ceremonial laws, which have to do with, uh, this is for all my Nacho fans, Nacho Libre fans, has to do with priestly duties. <laughs> Anyway, and uh, the sacrificial system, y'all read the long lobe of the liver and all that, you know, the sacrificial system with the blood and thousands of goats and bulls and all that kind of stuff, that's the sacrificial system. Now, this, uh, the ceremonial laws um, illustrate for us God's holiness or unholiness and what God would do basically to, to close the chasm between those two things, between sinful humanity and a perfect God. And just how costly it would be to bridge that gap. The book of Hebrews shows us the sacrifices were all fulfilled in Jesus' perfect life and death. If we accept Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, we don't need the lesser sacrifices anymore. In fact, and this is really big, in fact, it would actually be offensive to go back to them because that would communicate that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't sufficient. Understand that? That's the ceremonial laws. Now, one thing I really want to say, because when it comes to progressive Christianity, this is actually, there's a big problem with the ceremonial laws, and it has a lot to do with the wrath of God and, the, and, and how God, he wants blood. Like, they make God out to be this bloodthirsty, like, I don't know, vampire of a God. I'm not really quite sure exactly what the, the point is there, but uh, it's undermining the, all, all of these laws. And God, God didn't, like, desire blood, like, -ha -ha -ha. 
didn't desire blood, but he did require it. And I, I believe that he required it to remind us and to remind the people about the severity of sin. That sin has a cost. There is a payment for sin. And, and this is really what this communicates. Now, I'm going to keep going, say more about that. But the, the third set of laws are the moral laws. And this is where we find a lot of the, you know, the Ten Commandments. Uh, for instance, we also learn a lot about sexual ethic in, 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 the, in the moral uh, law. And, and a lot of these things, they're still in play. And this is why. The moral laws are fulfilled in Jesus as well in that he kept all of them perfectly. He kept them all perfectly. But unlike the civil and ceremonial laws, which were more time-bound, these laws reflected God's assessment of good and evil, right and wrong. They reflect God's character, and since his character doesn't change, his views on morality don't either. Jesus either reaffirmed or intensified moral laws when he spoke. To follow Jesus is to love what he loved, including the moral law. So you see these three different sets of laws. And one important part there is they reflect God's character, and since his character doesn't change, his views on morality don't either. I'll say one more thing about the progressive church is um, with this postmodern type of mindset where there is no, you know, objective truth, that everything's a floating point of truth, and so therefore morality is a floating point. It's not fixed, and it slides around, and um, I was reading some stuff this past week where one progressive leader, he said, he said the church needs to change in order, and needs to adapt and, and some of the old teachings need to change in order to, you know, keep up with the times. And, and not, not talking about methodology, but talking about theology, talking about literally what the church believes based upon the Bible. And they undermine the Bible, they undermine these words, and they undermine the moral laws because anytime that you tell people what they have to do with their body, how they're going to live their life, especially when it comes to their sex life, uh, that's whenever you begin to kind of step on toes. You know, and, and, and so we need to progress past that to where people can accept the teachings of Jesus, which is completely contrary to how the Bible sets up what it means to be salt and light. <laughs> Jesus right here is, is telling us that's not how you're salt and light. There's a different way of going about this, and it's going about with truth. But when we talk about these laws, as we get into the moral law, and as Jesus is speaking about this, now we're getting into a big concept that's it's very important for us to understand, and it's the heart of the law versus the letter of the law. It's the heart of the law, the spirit of the law, right, which is like the understanding of why, that, why the law is there, rather than just, I have to obey the law. Quick example is the speed limit. On the way here, if you came on I-10, it was 70 miles an hour. Why? Because it's an interstate. Everybody goes really fast. There's not a house right on the side of the interstate with a little kid that might be playing in their front yard, right? That's why in neighborhoods it's 25 or 15, depending where you live. Or five, even though it's 15, go five miles an hour because there's always the mom on the front porch who's like peering, waiting for you. I've literally been going like, I'm not, 15 miles an hour. Like, make sure because I know there's kids playing. And like, man, I'm going 15. And it's like, no, 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 go slower because like the mom is just like. And I'm like. (laughs) 
I get it, though. I have kids. I get it. But you know what I'm saying? The heart of the law is go slow because safety and consideration for people, right? That's the heart. When it comes to the, the law from God, so many people don't understand the heart of the law. They just see the letter of the law, and they're like, why? Why, why can't I do what I want? I believe that the law of God was given for God's glory, but also for our benefit. If you go back and you read the law and you begin to see, especially the moral law, you begin to see it's not just about do's and don'ts. It's about literally if you live according to this law, if you live according to this wisdom, your life will be, go better. Will it be perfect? No. It's not about perfection. It will go better. Why? Because God's designed us to live a certain way. There's a heart of the law. And here's the deal. Obedience, this is a big point. Obedience isn't about earning God's favor. We're not talking about karma here. Okay? If I'm nice to God, he'll be nice to me. And if something goes wrong in my life, it's because I didn't do something right. Hey, guys, listen. Sometimes the things that happen to us are a consequence of, of sin or a consequence of a bad choice. But not everything that happens to you that's negative is judgment from God. That's, I mean, we, we got to get that right. Because it happens, man. It's like, oh, you know, uh, uh, things are going good. I must be living right. You know that's deceptive because you could be living wrong and things still go right and you think that you're okay, but you're not. We can't judge, you know, eternal things by physical matters. We can't do that. It's a trap of the enemy. And so obedience isn't about earning God's favor. It's a result of knowing God and being filled with his spirit to delight in obeying God. We obey now simply because we love him. Because we love him. When I was 17 years old or 18 years old, um, I had made some dumb choices and uh, up until that point in my life, it had a lot to do, you know, when it came to getting in trouble, right? I don't want to get in trouble with my parents, get grounded or whatever. It was always about hiding those things and, you know, and I wasn't too crazy or anything, but there's just a couple things I did, you know. Anyway, it got found out because you always get found out and uh, everything hit the fan. And, you know, I was expecting my dad, like, to really go off on me, like, let me know, hey, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he didn't at all. He actually got very quiet. And he went to his room, I went to my room, and I got out, went to the kitchen a little bit later, and the room was right by the kitchen, and I heard my dad crying. Because what I did hurt him. From that day forward, my motivation for obeying my dad wasn't about, you know, hiding things to get away with it. It was about, I don't want to hurt the heart of my dad. He doesn't deserve it. He's, you know what I'm saying? Whenever you can have that heart for your God as your spiritual father, right, whenever you, can, whenever you can see it that way, the way that you read the Bible changes, the way that you pray changes, the way that you see people changes, because you understand the love and the grace and the mercy of God. It's a renovating factor in your, in your growth in your relationship with Jesus. But obeyed, obedience is, is, to God is for our good and his glory. And, and whenever we obey, we grow in holiness and it leads to human flourishing. And this is what Jesus wants for us, us. He wants us to grow and he wants us to flourish in our life. And this is why Jesus prioritizes the attitudes of our hearts over our behavior. The attitudes of our heart over our behavior. This walk with God is not about behavioral modification more than it is about spiritual transformation. I believe that our behavior should change as we walk with Jesus. Absolutely. 
I think that our, our, our anger level should change. The works of the flesh, Galatians chapter 5, the works of the flesh should be diminishing in our lives more and more, not perfection. I'm not, I'm not preaching perfection, but I am preaching sanctification and holiness, right? Um, those should be diminishing as, as the fruit of the Spirit in our life is increasing. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, right? Like the, the scale should be tipping this way. And, and too many people are like this, too many, you know, Christians, people that call themselves, they're like this. And, and there's always just this assumption of God's grace that's just always going to balance the budget. It's always going to bring it back. But, but Paul says, don't sin so that grace abounds. There is, there is a, a, a check in that whole grace thing. Whenever we know what to do and we intentionally don't do it, I'm not your judge. I'm just saying, open your eyes. Let's be aware of those things. Because those are traps of the enemy. Oh, God's grace is sufficient. It is sufficient. But we still must pursue holiness. It's the heart of the law. The heart, that's what this is about. But this is predicated. This understanding is predicated upon us receiving a new heart. In Ezekiel 36, there's this sort of a prophetic looking forward to, to this concept. And, and he says, I will give you a new heart. God speaking through a prophet says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to remove the heart that doesn't understand me, speaking as God, doesn't understand me, doesn't show transformation. And a lot of people are stuck just trying to stop saying certain things or stop doing, uh, you know, uh, I smoked a cigarette today. I guess I need to. It's not about a cigarette, right? It, it, like, we... We, we, in the church world, we, like, we throw all this stuff together and we make it all the same. And it's not. And we, we start with things sometimes that have nothing to do with spiritual transformation at all. So many people, they, 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 they try to, you know, I'm going to transform my behavior. And it's like transform behavior comes as your heart is transformed. Does it always make it easy? No. <laughs> That's, that, that would be a trap on the other side. That would be, this would be the trap on the other side. I, my behavior isn't changing, and it's not changing, but I'm just believing that God one day is going to miraculously change it, and there's no effort. The Bible talks about putting to death the deeds of the flesh, mortifying the deeds of the flesh, literally like, like you know, not, not physically, like, killing, you know, someone or, or yourself or something. That's not what it's talking about. But the deeds of the flesh, the desires, it is a fight. So there's a spiritual fight that, that it's internal, but it's also external. So there is effort in this. That is that your will is, is against God's will in a lot of ways. And so you're having to fight those things. And so the Christian walk, this process of sanctification, it's work. It's every day. You never take the foot off the gas. You're striving towards the end, but in your striving, you're also resting in Jesus. It's, the, it's these two things at work every day. And for those of you who are in that process, you, you know what I'm talking about. This is the process of sanctification. But it's a work of the Spirit in your life. And the last verse we're going to share today is verse 20. 
For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Remember, we got a picture of what's going on. Big crowd. He speaks to the scribes for a little bit, you know, kind of corrects them, talks about fulfilling the law versus abolishing the law, kind of this mindset, says that he's here to fulfill it. And, he's, and then he looks to everybody, he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, kind of awkward when he says that, you, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What's he talking about? Well, the law is all about being righteous before God. Obeying the law is all about standing before Jesus and standing before God in righteousness. The sacrificial system, the moral laws, you do these things in order to, to be back in um, uh, favor with God, right? That's what all this is about. It's about the payment for sin, the ceremonial laws. It's all about paying the price for sin. And so he says, he says, the type of righteousness that the scribes and the Pharisees are communicating to you, uh, if you're going to go that way, your, your righteousness has to exceed their righteousness. But he's really pointing to something even more than that. He's saying that he is the righteousness that they need. And, uh, and with this kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven standard of righteousness is being raised literally to perfection. And as we go through the next few verses, you're going to see that. But what he's not saying is that you're going to be able to attain that in your own strength or in your own effort, in your own ability. One of the things about the law is that it shows us that we cannot do it. That we cannot perfectly obey the law. That, that's one of the things that the law does in our life. And Jesus is communicating that here. But what he's saying is we can now attain the righteousness of God in Christ who fulfills the law, not through our works, but through his sacrifice and through his grace. And this is one of the key components of the gospel right here. Is that yes, the standard of holiness is way up here. The standard of righteousness is way up here. And we are striving for that, but we also know that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so, although we're shooting for that, we know we're not going to get it. And wherever that gap is, we know that we have an advocate. That we have someone who's gone before us and has filled that gap through his life, his perfect life, and through his perfect sacrifice. And so the condemnation that comes with that gap is no longer there. Jesus said he did not come to condemn the world. He came to bring life. And so what I'm giving you today is not condemning. It's full of life for those who believe, for those who surrender. And that's what Jesus is saying. Trust in me. And so the summary for today, Jesus is calling us to go and affect the people around us, affect the environments around us. Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf. Where we could not, he did. And this is how we can stand and declare that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. And this is where Jesus is going to launch from in order to communicate the rest of the things that, that uh, we get to do as followers of Jesus. And so today, as we've heard all of this, there's a lot of information, there's a lot of heart stuff. I believe that, that all of us are taking what we're hearing and we're applying it to our life. You're applying it to your heart. You're applying it to your life right now. 
And I just want to pray and, and give God a moment to search our hearts right now in light of what we just heard. So let's bow our heads. God, would you search our hearts? Lord, where our mentality has been, has been skewed, our understanding of your word has been skewed. God, right now I just pray that you begin to, to organize those thoughts and those feelings. God, that you also begin to illuminate those things in our life that are out of balance. God, that you would illuminate where there's lack, where there's a gap. God, even where we've been obeying out of a, a, a negative fear of you, not a, not a reverential fear of who you are and your ability and your power, but God, out of a, out of a fear that, that is not what your heart is. You say your kindness brings us to repentance. So God, would you reveal your kindness to us right now? Would you reveal the truth of the gospel to us right now? If you're in this place, maybe you're watching online and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you know that there's a gap between you and God. Maybe you're also watching online or you're here and, and you've just, you've not been living right. Like you know, and, and you actually agree with the truth of the word. You actually agree with the Bible, but there's this gap between what you believe and what you do. And, and somewhere in there, you know that you've lost your relationship with God. It's, it's, it's either it's there, it's just, it's just dormant, however you, however you want to word it. But right now, I want to give all of you an opportunity to reconnect with your God. It starts with repentance. Turning from that which is sinful, turning from that which is uh, something that God doesn't agree with or God doesn't align with and turning yourself and beginning to walk towards him. Beginning to align yourself with his truth. So right now just say, God, forgive me of my sin. I repent. I believe in you. I trust in you. I thank you for the cross of Jesus who sacrificed himself for me. Give me power to live this life and glorify you. God, I pray for all of us here today. Lord, that you would help us to be salt and light, that you would help us to affect the people around us. God, to live this life for your glory, to advance your kingdom. We love you and we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.